Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. The 1980s, Ronald Reagan was president. Shoulder pads were popular and hairstyles were really big. It was also a time of deal-making, hostile takeovers, high-risk debt financing, and excess. And no, I'm not going to play that quote from the movie Wall Street about greed because you know it. Here in New York, there is a new play, though, called Junk that tells the fictionalized story from that era centered on a financier very reminiscent of Michael Milken. I make you rich, you and Macy, then you stop returning my calls. I was afraid. Of what, Murray, of what? Making money? She doesn't like that people call it junk, Bob. She doesn't like me putting all that money into something people talk about like it's garbage. It's a misnomer. It's written by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Ayad Akhtar, and he joins me now. Good morning. Good morning. So first, describe for me a little bit more what your play is about. It's about the moment in American history when certain questions about value and ownership and the meaning of shareholder rights and the definition of the individual and the collective, those questions were still unanswered. All those questions have become settled matters for us now. That it's all about the shareholder value, that it's all about That it's all about that finance, that finance has become the dominant way of our being, of our national life. It's become the infrastructure, you know, psychically as well as economically as well as policy-wise. And in the early and mid-80s, those questions weren't settled. So in a way, what the play is attempting to do is just to go back to that last moment in our history when the battle for who owns America could still be waged without it feeling sentimental. Why did you decide to write a play about junk bonds? It's not really a play about junk bonds. It's a play about debt. And it's a play about how capitalism has become dominated by the abstraction of value and debt, leverage, whatnot, and what the implications of that activity really are fundamentally. You know, debt is the biggest moneymaker in all of its forms. It's really another way of talking about finance. You know, when GM, the CEO of GM says, I don't want to make cars anymore, I just want to make money, cars become the excuse for loans because the loans make them more money than the making of cars. The goods that we make are the excuse to create debt because the debt makes more money. That has an effect. It's not abstract. That's the process that the play is staging, is the transformation of the American economy and the American psyche. In the show, it is not distinctly set in the 1980s. You, you don't have the big shoulder pads and the, or, or the, and the music, big hair or, or the music. The, or the Coke or the whatever. You know what I mean? It's like all of that stuff, those are markers that only tell the audience, oh, this is not about now. This is about another time. But it's the birth of debt financing. And it's in a way, it's a kind of origin myth for what is actually the prevalent activity in the economy today. So I have a little note at the top of the script that says great lengths should not be gone to in order to make a connection sartorially or design-wise with the 80s. This is an ontology and an ethos that it exists today. The, the central character of the story, Robert Merkin, who is loosely based on the junk bond king and, and felon Michael Milken, does he deserve praise for creating economic growth through finance or does he deserve criticism for what has been the the consequences of that, and in particular, people losing their jobs. Fundamentally, that's the question of the play is, should we be rooting for the disruptive forces of capitalism or should we be rooting against them? There is no simple answer to that question. It's, you know, 400 levels beyond my pay grade to be able to even imagine that I could answer a question like that. But you talk about pay grade of way above level. Why do you think, and your play sort of addresses this, why do we think that someone who makes more money has the answers to the questions? It's a good point, and I stand corrected, and I think it's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's that finance has come to even dominate our metaphors. 
I often say it's easy to criticize capitalism and it's even easier to enjoy its benefits. And that's the contradiction that we're caught in. That's a conversation that is starting to be had and something that we need to continue to have and we need to have in more and more informed ways because the future of our species depends on it. So what is the role that government plays in all of this? I don't know. I think that's another question that the play is asking. And I think that what the play's response is that the 80s brought about a uncomfortably tidy relationship between the forces of finance and the forces of government. And that perhaps that is not in the best interests of the collective. We spend a lot of time looking for someone or some group or something to blame for the state of the country, the state of the economy. Maybe it's trade deals like NAFTA or it's Wall Street and they're to blame. Is that helpful? I think that there isn't a deep enough understanding of what the real problems are. Not responding to fundamental questions about the meaning of ownership, the meaning of shareholder rights within a democracy, the meaning of value, the definition of what an individual is, the definition of what the collective is. It's not an abstraction to say that those philosophical questions stand at the heart of our republic and our inability to articulate either the question or meaningful answers to those questions is what has resulted in this kleptocracy that we are now living in. You've had a long interest in psychoanalysis and religion and spirituality. Why did you decide to write a play where money is really at the center and a driving force in people's lives? Because I think it's the only significant story of our time that is not really being told. When I think of free market ideology, I see all the hallmarks of religious thinking. I see beliefs that are promulgated and imposed on reality, irrespective of the empirical data or the empirical result of those beliefs. Without recognizing that, without seeing that blind spot, what do we do? We continue to promulgate and behave in ways that are ultimately superstitious. I don't know that a play or an artist is qualified to offer an answer to any of these things. I think it's about asking the right questions. One of the things that stood out to me watching the show is it focuses on CEOs and attorneys. It's about power and usurpers. But I was wondering if you replace those people with kings and advisors, that it felt very Shakespearean. And I, I was wondering when you were writing the play, if you were thinking, you know, if Shakespeare were alive today, these would be the people he'd be focusing on. These are our Richard III's and Henry V's. I will admit to sort of studying Shakespeare closely and studying those histories closely because I felt that it was a great template to tell a story about power in our time. At the end of the day, trying to tell a story this big, there are very few precedents. And I think that Shakespeare is a good one to try to learn from. Did you come to any conclusion about capitalism and, and finance in particular? That if we don't figure out a way to, to get a little control over the urge to monetize every contact with each other, that we're going to go no place good. Ayad Akhtar is the author of the new play, Junk, now at the Vivian Beaumont Theater at Lincoln Center. Ayad, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'm Charlie Herman. This is Money Talking from WNYC. 